guys, and welcome back to the Black Health Academy podcast. The Black Health Academy is an affordable membership site and community dedicated to the eradication of the most common chronic diseases in our community. Diseases such as obesity, hypertension, high cholesterol, and autoimmune diseases. Please be sure to visit theblackhealthacademy.com to enroll in the academy and join the conversation. We're about two weeks out from our new platform being launched, which I'm super excited about. We're going to have three different tiers available inside the Black Health Academy. Um, And so it's going to be a much more user-friendly interface. So I'm super excited. So right now, before that new platform rolls out, we actually are offering 100% free enrollment into the academy because we're still uploading content, right? So you're not getting old content. We're still uploading new content every Wednesday and we're transferring that content over to the new platform. But while we're doing that, we're offering free enrollment. So if you need help with weight loss, if you need help with reversing or preventing diabetes or hypertension, autoimmune, stress-related illnesses, depression, anxiety. We have resources for all of those things from audios to videos to text lessons. Whatever your learning preference is, is available inside of the academy. So go ahead and check it out at theblackhealthacademy.com. So once again, welcome to the podcast. I'm Lisa A. Smith, founder of the Black Health Academy, joined by my super dope co-host, Ms. Get Fit with Jay. And today we want to share a very serious topic and story and unfortunately a very common story in the black community with regard to infant mortality. So in light of that, we're going to forego our driven segment and our wait what segment on this episode. We'll return with that in two weeks. But for this episode, we actually want to start by sharing a New York Times story that was recently done about infant mortality and how it directly impacts black women astronomically more than any other demographic in the U.S. So we're going to start by playing that entire New York Times expose. It's about 20 minutes and we want you to hear the story from beginning to the end. Jay and I will come back on afterward and go into detail about some of the things they actually uh, share during the story and we're going to go a little further with it too so please stick with us i think this is a really interesting story when i first heard it i went through a plethora of emotions jay did as well and so we there was absolutely no doubt that we were going to talk about this here on this platform we've talked a bit about infant mortality in the past but we're going to do a deep dive today so thank you so much for hanging in there with with us and listening and we're going to go ahead and start the story From the New York Times, I'm Michael Barbaro. This is The Daily. Today, childbirth is killing black mothers and their babies at staggeringly high rates in the U.S. Why their deaths have everything to do with the lived experience of being a black woman in America. It's Friday. May 11th. My baby was moving good on the ultrasound. Yeah, he's big because he can't see his face no more, so you can tell he's big. Is he head down? Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah he's been head down for a while now, uh-huh. so he stayed knocking. Yeah. You can see him moving up and down in my stomach now, so. Yeah. Okay. Is that reassuring for you when you see him moving and stuff? So Simone Landrum is a young woman living in New Orleans who was pregnant. So your blood pressure does gradually increase a little bit during pregnancy, and that's and I met her with her doula. I know we're we're watching out for that big increase. Yeah, yeah. you know, like I'm just like one nineteen. I'm like, is this okay? She's like, it's okay. It's more than okay. I'm just like, she's only twenty three years old. Has a great upbeat personality, but she's also clearly very nervous about this pregnancy. Linda Virosa is a contributing writer to the Times Magazine. Mm-hmm. You know me, I'm not thinking. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> 
like she would say, I'm really nervous. I don't want to die having a baby. I don't want my baby to die. Just say like if you have a flashback in your mind, like in this like I remember last time seeing like everything was okay, but I was sick. I remember that. She just was afraid that she wasn't going to make it because of what happened last time. She was a girl on my grandmother's birthday, and that's September the 6th. She calls her grandmother Muma, mm-hmm. and Muma had died recently. And I found out that it was a girl on her birthday. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> so she thought it was kind of divine order that she was having a girl. She wanted to teach her daughter how to sing. She loves music. Mm-hmm. So she had already decided to name her Harmony. And then you have Dylan, who's turning seven. Yes. And what's your other son's name? He's named Caden. Caden's four. Okay. But then, during this pregnancy, she noticed something different. Okay, with that pregnancy, I was sick. And my head used to hurt so bad. Like, so bad. It was like shocking pains in my head, felt like. Like, it hurt it. So the headaches were blinding so much that she was working as a waitress and had to leave that job. And so she talked to her doctor about the headaches And he kept telling her, well, you know, just take some Tylenol. And she complained again, the headaches are quite bad. And he said, just take more Tylenol. And she wasn't comfortable with that, but she wasn't sure what else to do. So then what happened when you got closer to your due date? Um, When I got closer to my due date, I remember one time I went in for a regular visit. It's November. And Simone is noticing that she's really not feeling that well. She's having swelling. She's still having those headaches that Tylenol is not really helping. So she goes to her regular prenatal visit with a lot of things to talk about. And my blood pressure was high. And when it was high, he told me to lie back. And he was like, just lie back until your blood pressure go down. And we're going to check it again. High blood pressure is always dangerous, but especially during pregnancy, because it can lead to hemorrhaging. It can also lead to an abruption, which means that the placenta detaches from the uterine wall. And that's very bad for the baby because the baby can't get the nutrients he or she needs. Bad for the baby, bad for the mother. It's like they're for both. I was just telling them I didn't feel good. And I remember my baby shower being like a day or two after. I think it was the next day. But then he gave me an ultimatum. He was like, I was like, my baby shot the next day. And he was going out of town. He had a vacation. She was really freaked out. And she said, what should I do? And the doctor said to her, well, you know, you could go up to labor and delivery now and we could deliver the baby. And she said, well, wait, isn't it too early? And he just said, well, I'm going to be out of town. And so I, this is when I could do it. Or your other choice is just to sit back calm down and try to get your blood pressure down. I don't know. I'm not a doctor. You know, I'm just knowing that, you know, I'm having high blood pressure in my body, a little achy. I'm thinking that I'm, you know, probably about to go into labor. But she was also afraid and she was listening to him because she thought he was a good doctor. And so when he checked it again, I assumed that it was lower. He told me to just go home and he told my baby father, he said, just Sit down and just make sure she don't really do much. She don't move much, like basically to go on bed rest. So she thought, okay, everything's fine again. Mm -hmm. So tell me how it happened. Like what happened? Uh, Okay, I was laying down, wasn't feeling good, like all day. Like, felt like I couldn't even really get up and walk. I thought I was just in labor. So I'm like, let me just head shit out at home. It's four days later and Simone has gotten much sicker. She's very tired. She's got bone-weary fatigue. She can hardly get out of bed. I finally was ready to go to the hospital, and I was just like, ooh, just come on. I felt the urge. I'm like, can you please just come on? She was in the car. I felt the splash, but I thought it was my water broke. When I got out the car, I seen it was blood, like, on the seat. And so she ended up actually getting in an ambulance and going. It was an emergency situation. And once I got... In the ambulance, I remember they had made me lie back, and I remember I felt blood coming down. Like, it was more blood. It's blood. It's just coming, like, and it just kept coming. And I felt like they were just taking their time. Mm. Like, they was not moving fast at all. And um, when I got in there, 
it was sent back and then they basically checked to see if she was breathing and stuff like that and when they did check for that it was nothing because I kept saying is she okay is she okay and everybody was quiet you know in the room and I'm like she all right right you know like well I don't hear nothing and then they finally told me like the room was so silent like I've never heard nothing be that silent in my life And then what was your condition? Like what you probably know now. Um, they told me I had preeclampsia and it was an abruption. And they had to give me five blood packets and platelets. Mm. So, yeah. Sounds like you almost exed out. Yeah. What exactly had gone wrong with this pregnancy? So preeclampsia is simply high blood pressure during pregnancy. And the symptoms were obvious, the swelling, the high blood pressure, as well as the headaches. Mm -hmm. But it was ignored. And it led to an abruption that led to hemorrhage. And so the hemorrhage almost killed her and actually did kill her baby. And I remember like, I'll be back with y'all sister. You know, and they so happy, they're so happy now. Mm. And then there was that void, mm. having to come back, like, empty-handed. Yeah. And I felt like they was like, you know, like, what she did, she do something to her? I didn't know what they were going to think. So that was the hardest part, having to come back empty-handed. Like, yeah. it was like, wow. They don't forget. Like, they every night they tell, they always say their prayers, and they're like, good night, Harmony, good night, God, we love you, sister. And you go, oh, <laughs> Every night, they always say their prayers. I tend to think of maternal and infant mortality as a problem from an entirely different era. Or I tend to think of these problems as something that afflict countries that have a lot of poverty. I don't think of this happening inside the United States in 2017, 2018. Well, it shouldn't be happening in the United States in 2018. Maternal mortality is a huge problem here in the United States. We are the only developed country where the rate is actually going up. Mm. And then at the same time, our infant mortality rate is high. It's 32nd out of the 35 most developed countries, wealthiest countries. So that, again, is odd. And both of these rates are driven by black women. What's going on with black women and babies? So a black woman is two to three times more likely to die in childbirth or almost die than a white woman. And a black baby is 2.2 times more likely to die than a white baby. And this racial disparity is actually larger than in 1850 during wow. slavery. It was narrower then when black women were slaves. And you're saying that the problem of infant and maternal mortality among black women is so significant that it drives the entire U.S. rate for both up. It drives the rate for both up. And why does this disparity exist? How can we account for this difference? I first heard about this in the 90s. I was the health editor of Essence magazine, and we had been told this narrative that infant mortality is a problem of poor black women mm -hmm. who aren't taking care of themselves, and black women aren't getting proper prenatal care, either because they're irresponsible or because they just don't have access to it. Mm -hmm. But then studies came out that said, no, actually, when prenatal care is equal, black women still have small and preterm babies. One of the statistics that really struck me was that if you're a black woman with a college education and, in fact, an advanced degree, mm -hmm. you are more likely to die in childbirth or lose your baby than a white woman with an eighth grade education. Wow. I did not believe it. I was like, no, that cannot be right. How could this be? Because... The narrative was always, oh, this happens to poor women who don't take care of themselves and don't get prenatal care. But then this study in 1992 just crashed that whole thing apart. Mm. This had nothing to do with that. 
So then the next thing was, okay, this has got to be genetic. So maybe there's an inherited difference that women of African descent have mm -hmm. that is causing low birth weight. So two neonatologists in Chicago looked at black women immigrants who had come from Africa and the Caribbean. So when the women first came, their babies weighed about the same as white babies in the United States. But then after two generations, the black babies, immigrant babies, turned out the same birth weights as African-American babies. Which is to say low. Low, low birth weight. But you didn't see the same thing in white immigrant women. So white immigrant women came to the United States, and in those two generations, their babies actually got larger. So, and healthier. And healthier. And so then it became, wait, this isn't about genetics. This really is about something else. Something about growing up as a black woman in America is bad for your baby's birth weight. You can come into this country with a healthy pregnancy, but your child and their child, if you're black, something will happen to you. Yes. It isn't any of these other things. It isn't poverty. It isn't irresponsibility. It isn't inherited. And so now we're looking at race and racism, the lived experience of being a black woman in America. Essentially, being a black woman is bad for your pregnancy. In America, something is going wrong here. We'll be right back. So I want to understand how this actually plays out in these pregnancies. Race as a force in an expectant mother's experience. Well, it happens in two ways. The first is what happens in the healthcare system. There have been study after study after study mm -hmm. from in the 90s, more recently, that talk about what happens to you when you walk into a medical facility. Black people are treated differently. There was one study that looked at medical students and they had ideas about racial differences that were not true. One that struck me was that black people have much higher pain tolerance than white people, so need less pain management, which is not true. Black people had thicker skin. Again, not true. Or the idea that our blood coagulates somehow differently. These All are of medical professionals who have these assumptions. These are medical students who had these assumptions. And so that is frightening because that's the next generation of doctors. And I think those two studies were very eye-opening for me, at least. So what you're describing is a kind of unconscious, but perhaps conscious, medical racism. Yes. What's the second way that this plays out? The second way race plays out is in some ways more insidious. It's more scary, but something happens to black women because of our lived experience of being in America. The way it's been looked at by scientists is about a kind of toxic stress. So one of the leading scientists in this area coined the term weathering. And weathering means that the body actually ages mm in a way that it shouldn't be aging, according to your biological years, because of a kind of toxic stress. And she linked the toxic stress to race in America, racial discrimination. And this word weathering is very evocative because it seems to describe racism as lived day in and day out as a kind of storm that, that slowly ravages a body. And the body might look normal. It might seem stable and maybe even healthy, but layers of it have been stripped away. That's right. It's the idea that anytime something happens to you mm -hmm. that makes you emotional, the systems of your body brace up. Mm -hmm. It's the fight or flight syndrome. It's protective, but if it keeps happening over and over so that your pulse races, your heart beats harder, your systems change and it's constant and it keeps happening over and over and over, it actually weathers your body. Mm -hmm. it changes your system and it makes you more vulnerable to all kinds of illness. I guess we think of racism as a societal problem and we think of medicine as a science that kind of hovers above all that. But maybe that separation in our minds is a false one. I think it is very false and I think that racism and race is baked into every single thing in our society and medicine is not immune. <sighs> Uh, how have you been doing? On, on Monday, we talked about getting rid of the things that are stressful. How's that been going? <laughs> You've been doing the cleansing, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah that thing is I have, too. <laughs> yeah. 
to do this and it's working. Like I feel yeah. like it's working. You know, just to breathe. Yeah. You yeah. know, I know that I'm trying like not to be anxious. Mm-hmm. You know, because sometimes I just get anxious. It's regular. Mm-hmm. Like my heart feel anxious. So. So what happens with Simone and the second pregnancy? So with her second pregnancy, she is very committed to not letting what happened to Harmony happen again. Mm -hmm. She has a new doctor. She has a doula who is trained as a labor and delivery nurse and who is making sure that she is going to her prenatal care appointments and she's checking in with her and making sure she's taking good care of herself. (laughs) My baby, I think he get kind of scared though. He's like, mommy, like he'll talk about that. And I'm like, no, mommy, okay, mommy not going to die because he'll tell people, you know, like think I'm sick and stuff. Yeah, because of what happened last time. So she was a little cautious. She was superstitious. She didn't want to have a baby shower. She didn't want to buy clothes for the baby because she just wanted to make sure everything was going to be okay before she really, you know, let her heart open up to the idea that I'm, I really have this baby. Okay. So that's the way my mind thinks. Like you, you never get, even with anything, you never get too happy about like a job. Like say if they say they're going to give it to you, you don't really know if they're really going to give it to you all the time. Like you, you haven't thought about it like that. They say they is, but you can't get too excited about anything. That's that's just the way my mind be set up. Like, because it had been times that I got excited about stuff, and then it'd be like, hey, yeah. you know. But I don't think like that this time. I'm trying to, like you said, just keep pushing it, but it'll be okay, you know. And so, what happens with this birth? So, well, The doctor said, we're afraid of you having a post-term baby because this baby wasn't, we thought the baby would be coming earlier, but he wasn't. And so we're kind of nervous. We're thinking that by Thursday, we're going to induce him. So this was Monday. In other words, the pregnancy is running a little bit late. It was a little bit late. So we went to the doctor on Monday and she was just getting the usual test, just seeing how the baby was. And it seemed like the baby wasn't doing so well. His little heart was going, it didn't look normal Mm -hmm. on the screen. And so the woman who was reading the monitor said, I need to call your doctor right away. I think we're going to have to take this baby out now. She's having the baby today. Mm -hmm. So she got in her room and they started giving her the Pitocin, a medication that induces labor. And then about five hours in, the pain got pretty bad. So she needed an epidural. So Latona, the doula and I had to step out of the room. When we came back, Simone was not in a good way. She was very upset. She was clenching her fists. She Mm. was very angry. And this epidural, of course, is supposed to make things better. Better. But they gave her an epidural that was more like if you needed a C-section, not just the regular epidural just to alleviate the pain of labor. Too much? It was too much. And so Simone was really angry because she couldn't feel her legs, Mm. which is not how it's supposed to be in this kind of epidural. But also we saw her blood pressure going up and we saw the baby's heart rate kind of moving all over the place. So Latona, she said, we've got to get Simone calmed down. And so Latona was very smooth. She started massaging her hands and she started saying, we just need to, something terrible has happened. It wasn't right. And she had the medical personnel come and explain. And actually they said, we're sorry. They had actually given her the wrong dose. They had given her the wrong dose. She was right. So then about 1 a.m., it's time. And so a whole bunch of residents come in. And then this man who I'd never seen before, Simone had never seen before. And he said, oh, I'm Dr. So-and-so. I'm going to deliver your baby. It was like, who is this? (laughs) Who is this man? So it turns out that black women are much more likely than white women to meet the provider who's going to deliver their baby for the first time during labor and (laughs) childbirth. Which is its own form of stress. Which was really stressful, but Simone was way beyond that. She was like, just get this baby out of me. And then finally, Simone was just in the zone and she was pushing and Latona was at her side saying, push, you can do this, you've got this. And I was even doing it too. Simone pushed the baby out and the baby came out and he was very still. So they put the baby on her chest and I was holding my breath and Simone said, is he okay? Is everything okay? And then all of a sudden, he lets out this wail 
and we knew he was okay. And how did Simone seem in this moment when she's finally holding this newborn? It was everything. I've never seen somebody have so many emotions at once. She was crying. She was gasping. She was happy. She was laughing. Everything. It was all this pileup of emotions because she survived. And she has this baby. And she made it. And she named the baby Kingston. And his middle name is Blessed. It's kind of remarkable to understand, after everything that you've told us here, that what we're seeing here, that simply surviving pregnancy, mother and son, that that is a triumph, that that is against, in some ways, the odds. Childbirth is supposed to be this wonderful, beautiful, natural experience. But for so many Black women and so many Black babies, it isn't. Okay, guys, so welcome back. So you heard the story, you listened to the interview. And when I first heard this New York Times story, I was losing it. Jay, I was like in my car and I was just so upset, overcome with emotion on so many different parts and then overcome with anger um, at the reality of this and how it's not even rare. It's not, you know, infant mortality is so huge in our community. Um, women, black women, the mothers dying during birth. It's commonplace. Absolutely. Because as as I was listening to the story, I'm like, what about the mothers who didn't die and the babies who didn't die? You go on thinking you had a normal experience and you didn't. You didn't. You absolutely, you don't even realize how much care that you weren't giving, given. You don't even realize how much you were this close. You just think, oh, okay. Two nurses or three doctors are in here. This is, you know, they're checking on me. You don't even realize something almost happened. Exactly. So we don't even have an account for that. We don't even have any numbers on that, any stats on that. So how bad some people's experience were who survived. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, mother and baby. And that's really sad. It's really sad. And just, and simply, here's the thing. Simply from being a black woman in America. No way to prevent. We can't prevent it. You have a daughter. You can't prevent it for her. And, you know, I have my own, both of my pregnancies, both of my deliveries, both of them, I got played the same way. And I didn't even realize how much I got played the same way until now. Until just listening to this? Until now. So what happened? First delivery. Okay, so, you know, my sister Mina, she's a labor and delivery nurse. Mm -hmm. So I had my baby. It was set up where she would be in the room, of course. It's a conflict of interest. She cannot be my nurse. She cannot deliver my baby, but she absolutely had to be in the room. So when I get to the hospital, first of all, I have my baby Morgan before I was supposed to have her. I go to the doctor and they say, you know what? Your baby is too small. You need to have her today. No explanation. Well, what does that even mean? What do you mean? My baby's too small. Is there anything that, you know, could happen? I'm just thinking, okay, I don't know what that means, but I'm going to go to the hospital and have my baby because they said so. And so, get to the hospital. Everything is going smoothly. But I already knew I wanted an epidural. So, when I get there, I told them I want an epidural. And then I told the nurse I was anxious. So, she gave me sleeping pills. Um, And so, the sleeping pills are from the hospital. They're not like you go get some Tylenol PM and you're like a little sleepy. I'm literally, they have to like shake me awake during my delivery. My mother's in there. You know, Mina's like, they weren't supposed to do that. You're not supposed to have sleeping pills while you, anything While you're trying to deliver. You You need need to be be up and at them. Right, firing from all cylinders. You need to know what's not feeling right, what is feeling right. And they gave you the sleeping pills for anxiety. They gave me the sleeping pills because basically I was like, I I wanted them. Like I'm, you know... I want to go to sleep and I'm... But you were already in labor. Uh, Yeah, knee deep in labor. Knee deep in labor. And they gave me... And Mina was like, well, the nurse was kind of new. So maybe that's what happened. But yeah, I had... She gave me sleep pills. So while I'm delivering Morgan, every time it was time for me to push, they had to wake me up. Every time... Like, I was not awake during my delivery. They had to literally be like... 
you know, nudge me awake and be like, okay, push again. What? <laughs> yes. And I didn't even realize, because for me, I'm thinking this is such a treat. I'm pretty much not, you know, having any pain. Conscious. I'm not kind con- like... So yeah. the pain wasn't even severe enough because you had the epidural too. I had too. the epidural. So you had epidural and sleeping pills in your yeah, system. Yeah, because they induced me and I knew they were they were about to give me the epidural. I didn't have it yet. So I was like, during this time, what can you do to ease my discomfort and my anxiety? And gave me the sleep. She gave me the sleeping pill. And I still got the epidural. So I had the epidural and I got the sleeping pill. So you didn't feel nothing. I felt nothing. I thought that was amazing. I, th- I thought I had the best delivery. But in hindsight, I'm like, that was very dangerous. A mother should not be dozing off during like at one point I woke up and it was like um, some students in my room. I didn't even know they were in there. You, you didn't know? give your consent. I didn't give my consent. They just came. It was like 10, 12 students in there that were, I mean, it was crazy. So yeah, that happened with Morgan. Then when I had Bryson, um, you know, Bryson was real. Like when I was pregnant with Morgan, she kicked me and everything. And with Bryson, he was super, super, super calm. Like, Until he got out. <laughs> that's what I was just telling him the other day. I was like, you were calm in my belly and raised hell when you got out. Morgan kicked the hell out of me and she was calm when she got out. It's crazy. But he was so calm. He never, and I was always afraid. Like, is he alive? Oh, through my whole pregnancy, is he alive? Is he alive? Is he alive? And, um, you know, they were telling me like he may be upside down. Or he may be a breech birth. Um, so when I got to the hospital, I was still afraid. Like, is he alive? Is he alive? And so I got the epidural. And I was in a lot of pain because I waited longer to have to go to the hospital with him. And then they gave me this epidural and I was like, I'm still feeling pain. So they turned it. And Mina was not even in her hospital at this time. I had it in Southfield. She works at Dearborn. And um, I got the epidural and I couldn't feel anything. It was super, super. I didn't know that an epidural could be turned up and down. I thought an epidural was what you had is what you had. Okay. And then uh, I couldn't feel anything. So I thought, oh, again, I thought, like, great. Right. And Mina just was kind of, like, losing it. She was like, her epidural's too high. I need you to turn it down. I need you to turn it down. I need you to turn it down. And the, you know, the, how's the baby doing? Okay, he needs to be coming out. She needs to feel the pain. And, you know, I'm just like, chill. <laughs> like, I don't feel any pain. You tell them to, you know, turn my epidural down. But that means I will feel the pain. Right. But what I didn't know... And what Mina knew is that you push against pain. So when you feel pain, you that's know to what, push. That's what makes you push. If you're too relaxed, you don't know to push and you're missing. And so his oxygen and everything and his heartbeat will react to, like he's not coming out as fast as he should because you're getting the contraction to push him out. And you don't feel it. But you're missing it. So she was like getting going crazy. Finally, she had she put her foot down. Like, turn my sister's um, epidural down now. Like, now. Right now. Like, I'm not buying it. No, I know I'm not the nurse. I know y'all probably don't want me in here because I'm a labor delivery nurse. But I'm going to need y'all to turn that down now. So, finally, and when they did, that's when I started pushing. That's when I started. He came out. And when he came out, Mina was so freaked out. The nurse couldn't even do their, their job. You know, you there's a protocol. You know, you're supposed to get your gloves and... She took her bare hands and pulled him out of me, blood all over her hands, started patting him on his back, and everything. Everything. Wow. Literally. That's crazy that you never heard this story. But yeah, she literally was like going crazy as a nurse because she's like, this ain't right, this ain't right, this ain't right. So yeah, so he ended up being okay. But now in hindsight, I'm like, wow, they totally... And it was how many of them? How did nobody... were they? No. They were all white? Yes. Yes, they were white. And but my nurse and the nurse that gave me the um the pill in Dearborn, she was white too. As a matter of fact, I think that I had two black nurses um once I started delivering in um uh, with Morgan. Okay, all these nurses. Did you have a doctor? The doctor only comes in when you basically start pushing. Like when you down to the last few seconds or something? Not the last few seconds, but maybe like the last Depending on your situation, if it's healthy or not. See, I can't speak for a person who's having issues or a person who's whatever. But my personal situation, the doctor came in maybe like the last 10 minutes, 15 minutes. Yeah. So bo- both times could have been very dangerous because even with the sleeping pills, how do I know when to push? Y'all like literally, because the only reason that they know for me to push is because 
you're hooked up to a monitor and they can see the, the contractions. Way. They can see the contraction. Like, okay, you know, push. Right. Here's, here's, here's one comment. Yeah. They see it coming. And then with the epidural being too high, although you they could see the contraction, I didn't have enough feeling in my body to so push. push as hard as you would if you At, felt the pain. Yeah, because I'm like, I'm pushing, but they're like, no, you're you not pushing hard. I'm like, I'm pushing. So, yeah, they... That was both of my experience. So both experiences definitely, I feel like you could relate to Simone. I could definitely relate in hindsight, but it seems so right. And it it's so commonplace for black women. Yeah. That is I'm so angered by this. I am so angry because the racism is so deep into the system. I wouldn't even know. The only thing I could think to tell somebody. Seriously, it's to have a home birth. It's to get a doula and have a home birth. But so many people are scared of that. And so many, even like healthcare professionals. I don't even know if your sister would be in support of having a living room and a, right. and a pool birth. Right. Because so many people who work in the healthcare industry or who have had a bad experience think, no, you need to be at or near a hospital. Mm-hmm. Not realizing that oftentimes... That works in reverse. That definitely can work in reverse. Right. Because, because that should have been all the way bad. Exactly. And I know several women who've had home birth. Trey's sister had home birth. And it was one of the most phenomenal experiences. Yeah. It was smooth. Came out in a pool. But she did so many things right during her pregnancy too. Right. And she's really, really keen on being educated with what's going on with her bodies. Most of us, just like Simone said in that interview, rely on our doctors to tell us. Mm-hmm. But Terry, she, you know, did research. She knew stuff going on. She knew how her body was supposed to and was to change and, you know, what was happening. So mm-hmm. when you take the time to get educated yourself, then something like a home birth, you'll be more comfortable with. But if if everything is like I'm relying literally on a healthcare system yeah. to deliver my child healthy, I can see why somebody would have resistance. But guess what? That was her second pregnancy. The first one, something happened. At a hospital. Yeah. Yeah. So... It's sad because it usually takes something like that for us to get educated. Yeah, like our first time we're like, no, we need to be in the hospital, facility right? And we need to be with this, this, and that, right? And then something may be tragic. It's like, oh no. So, you know, her first pregnancy was was at the hospital, right? right? And she lost that baby, exactly. And and she has made it very clear that I think part of the reason and was, she, yeah. yeah. Trying to follow their roles of how pregnancy is supposed mm-hmm. to go and how birth and labor is supposed mm-hmm. to go. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to make sure, number one, you know, something as simple, and I don't mean I oversimplify it, but preeclampsia. Mm-hmm. Okay. In Simone's story, she lost her first child because of essentially high blood pressure during her pregnancy, mm-hmm. which high blood pressure can be caused by pregnancy. It's not, you don't necessarily have to have it before. If you do, much higher risk, much higher risk of having preeclampsia. But the signs of preeclampsia, I want to make sure, number one, we let the people know what those are, right? Because she had severe headaches, which is a huge sign that your blood pressure may need to be checked. And the doctor told her, just take Tylenol. My head still hurts. Just take more Tylenol, Mm. right? And she didn't have the wherewithal to know, maybe get a second opinion, or she knew something wasn't right, she said, but... She listened to the doctor and let that be the final word. Yeah. Because second opinions, second opinions do seem really extra. Even when I've gotten a second opinion, it feels like, why are you doing this? You know the doctor, what the doctor said. Isn't that something? Even, even, even with having my same mentality as I do now, I still feel like once a doctor has told me something, going to get a second opinion feels extremely extra and suspicious. Wow. Yeah. Isn't that something? Yeah. Like that's how indoctrinated we are into the system. Exactly. Of putting, you know, doctors on a pedestal, of putting anybody on a pedestal that we think has more education, went to school for this, does this for a living. And it gets worse because they could be seasoned in their profession. Mm -hmm. And when I say seasoned, I just mean years, Mm -hmm. not necessarily knowledge. Right. Right. Um, so you're right. Like, okay, this doctor has been delivering babies for 20 years. You know, why would I not trust what he or she tells me? Why would I not do what the nurse says? You know? Um, so she didn't get a second opinion about these headaches and she lost her first baby because all the signs, textbook signs of preeclampsia were were there. 
And preeclampsia is not a new thing. Yeah. So the swelling, the headaches, mm -hmm. and the high blood pressure is preeclampsia. Yeah. You know what? You said something earlier that triggered me to think about what my doctor did for me. Um, when, it, when you say, oh, neuter, they like to neuter black women. Yes. So, you know, I have two kids, a boy and a girl. And I was like, well, unless they make another, you know, species, I, I have everything. Um, <laughs> so I wanted to... I wanted to get um, my tubes tied. So I went to the doctor. I went to my doctor and he took me and I was like, I want to get my tubes tied. And he was like, okay, we're going to talk about it. So he took me to this office with um, his, you know, big chair and his desk and pictures of his family, like real old school. Mm -hmm. And he was like, okay, you know, you want to get your tubes tied? I said, yes, I want to get my tubes tied. And he was like, okay, you're married, right? I said, yes, I'm married. I was like, and I have a son and I have a daughter. And he said, okay, what if you and your husband get divorced and you meet the man of your dreams and he doesn't have kids? Would you still, he was like, we're about to go over a scenario. He was like, would you still want to get your two side? And I'm like, oh, no. He was like, okay. And I know this is something a parent never wants to think about, but what if your kids both get killed in a car accident and you don't have any kids? Would you still want to get your tubes tied? He was like, this is irreversible. I want you to think of every scenario mm -hmm. in this world where you would be absolutely sure that if those scenarios happen, that you don't want any more children. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I'll be back. I don't know. Mm -hmm. And I wish every doctor, because I know so many women, I know somebody right now who is trying to get their tubes untied. They're so quick to be like, tie your tubes, tie your tubes, tie. Oh, you okay, tie your tubes. Yeah. Like you said, neuter us. Yeah. And tie your tubes, but it's even it's even bigger suggestion when they're dealing with something like fibroids. Mm -hmm. Because then they say, have a hysterectomy. Mm -hmm. right? right? Take your uterus out. Right. So that you can't have children and they think they're solving the problem of the fibroids when truly a lot of people that have hysterectomies can't have children now. Can't have children now, but also even after the hysterectomy, the pain, the discomfort, and the complications of that procedure still wreak havoc in their lives. Uh -huh. Like the the they still can have they can then lead to uh, breast cancer mm -hmm. uh, because. A lot of reasons of fibroids, for example, is estrogen dominance. And so the estrogen dominance doesn't go away with the hysterectomy. Mm -hmm. And so now they're taking steroids or different hormonal medications. Right. Now our thyroid is being. So when I've heard OBGYN say, oh, black woman has fibroids. First cause, first thing we can do is give you a hysterectomy. Mm -hmm. Horrible suggestion, right? It's a systematic way to neuter our culture. I don't care what anybody says. Okay, let's pause right here. When you say the doctors say, you know what's interesting about us? And I'm not saying, I don't know about just black women or black men or black, you know, people, but how we love referrals, how we love referrals, but we never think about referral from a doctor. Who's a good doctor that cares about us? Who's a, who, who did this for you? Who did, did they seem like they were, you know what I'm saying? Like, mm -hmm. I think maybe we could alleviate a lot of these problems if we just didn't just say, okay, I need, you know, I got fibroids. Let me, okay, my insurance has this doctor. I'm going to go there. Mm -hmm. Maybe if we took the time to even do did a little, <laughs> like you did when you went to that doctor. I was like, let me check these credentials. Let me check these credentials. <laughs> I don't know you. I don't know you. And I'm letting you handle a very intricate, important part of my life. Yes. So maybe that plays a part too. Absolutely. Us not doing our part, even though we're 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 used to doctors being authentic and genuine. And genuine. And we usually did. We didn't used to have to do that. But now with the influx of people just want to get money versus, you know, like people say, God put this on my heart, or you know, right. or even it runs in my family. My doc. My dad was a great doctor. And so I'm going to be a great doctor. You right. don't even, it's just like, oh, money. That's what I want to be now. Right. So you don't even know what their intentions are. Wasn't why so getting into medicine. Exactly. Right. right. So maybe even doing research on the doctor could help. Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Versus just knowing that they have, you know, the DR yeah. in front of their name. Um, and I, I can't wait to launch the new platform on the Black Health Academy because I thought about that the other day. And we're going to have a link that says find a black doctor, mm -hmm. but we're now also going to, which we already have, but we're also going to have a link that says, I have a black doctor. Yes. Where if yes. you have a good one, 
you can put in their Share credentials. Your story. Put their story. Put yeah. their information in. So don't just come to the Black Health Academy to find one. Come to Black Health Academy if you have a great one and Absolutely. post it up and you get inside the academy and you so if we're all having somebody a great experience, we all need to know that. You mm-hmm. know? So wherever you are in the world, I wanna hopefully build a database so large that, you know, we'll have a good handful and you know just about every zip code so that we can start having healthcare professionals that are backed by our peers absolutely because we pay more attention to the reviews of a restaurant hello than we do of a doctor if, if we even check the reviews let's go there if we even check the reviews. oh yeah yeah are they That's a doctor? even assuming that you even went that far right for a doctor Right. Yeah, but we're checking like well, what what what's everybody saying about this movie? What's everybody what should I Right. We go we go we go how many times have you seen this on Facebook? I just finished binge watching such and such on Netflix. What should I watch next? Oh we go to our peers to figure out what TV show we should watch mm-hmm. next. You know what I mean? What's where's a good place to eat? I'm in Atlanta for the weekend, right? Mm-hmm. We asking that. Now out of all the restaurants that we pass on the street, why won't we just walk into one? We ask first. Oh, we used to have a bell. Okay. <laughs> but when it comes to the people that's supposed to be providing our health care, who's taking the class? Who's taking babies? <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> who's taking babies out of our bodies who we're relying on to improve the quality of our life, who we're allowing to write prescriptions for us yes. and give us drugs. And we say this stranger said, eat, drink, this stranger, right. take this. And we do it. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make any sense. But I want to get. I want to make some before we wrap because this could go on and on. We just be venting. It's a couple key things that they said during this interview that I wanted to get your opinion on. Um, and one is, which I think is really huge, uh, when uh, when a woman does lose a baby, how she said she felt so horrible coming home empty-handed to her other children, right? And they thought mommy going to the hospital have to have our sister, mm-hmm. and she came home em- empty-handed. I don't even think it ever really crosses our minds the impact that losing a child has oftentimes on the other children or on the rest of the family. You know, like they still pray for her every night and talk to her. I mean, that is emotionally wretching because you build a bond with the baby in your stomach. The father does, but the, the siblings do too. The siblings do too. Not And not just the siblings, everybody. Everyone. Does. They bought clothes. You got stuff here that you have to return. That emotional strain. Yeah. The physical strain is one part, but to come yeah. home empty handed and you went into labor and you come home empty handed. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't imagine. Me either. The, the level of depression that one slips into the level of depression that the entire family slips into exactly the anxiety and then her anxiety with the next pregnancy she said i didn't even want to have a baby shower Mm -hmm. i didn't want to i can't imagine the women who want children going through this and potentially going through this at no fault of their own simply from a racist healthcare system Mm -hmm. that doesn't even know they're racist right it's not that you did something wrong it's that oh Somebody gave me a too high of a dose of something yeah, or somebody ignored right. very clear signs of preclamps. I mean, it, very clear. I mean, I was just so upset. They mentioned, um, they mentioned uh, black women are two to three times more likely to die or almost die during labor. And black babies are 2.2 times more likely to die than our white counterparts. And these statistics are so high in the black community that they're literally driving up the infant mortality statistics of the entire country. Yeah. You know, I told you when my car needed a boost or something and I was waiting on AAA and they kicked us out of the library and it was a black man. Yeah. And I was with Morgan and, you know, it was like, the the AAA would have been there within like fifteen minutes, and they're like, "No, you got to go now. It's nighttime." And I'm like, "If this would have been a black white woman, I think more care would have been given." It's across the board. People don't feel like they need to take care of us, and I don't know if it's because they think, like they say, we have a high tolerance. They oh. think we can handle everything. We're not afraid. You know, I had to. And the thing was, when I grabbed Morgan's hand and walked across the you know a parking lot at nighttime. I was like chest out, head up, like, let's go. Mm-hmm. Scared as ever. Like anybody can come in, do anything. But you threw your tough skin on. But I threw my instantly, instantly. And even when she was acting scared, I'm like, come on, girl, we okay. 
You know what I mean? You had to be strong. You had to be everything in that moment. The everything man, the mom, the, the, mom, the, yeah, the protector. Everything. And then what does that do to her? Makes her think like, okay, when something happens. I got to be strong. You know, there was no, oh my gosh, let's call. You, you don't know? even get to be vulnerable. No, there's Black no women in this we country. We don't have time to be vulnerable. No, black women in this country do not have the luxury of being vulnerable. We don't. We don't. Because if we time. don't come to our aid, literally no one will. Mm. That makes me yeah, it makes me so sad. You don't have time to be sad. You ain't listen. You ain't got time to cry. You better dry them tears real quick. <laughs> okay. Because while I'm crying, I could be fixing stuff. Oh yes. Because you know, a black woman in distress is not is not. Taking, it, it's nobody in distress. Oh yeah, there's no damsel in distress. It's just a black woman just being weak. That's why I'm so glad they finally put in this interview. They put a name to what I was always knew existed, which is they called it weathering. Okay, right. So weathering is essentially the lived experience of being a black woman and, and a, a black person, really. The lived experience of being a black person in America takes oh, yeah. a toll yeah. on your yeah. health, mm-hmm. takes a toll on your health. And and this was a huge statistic that I had never even heard before. But the higher educated you are, the more likely you are to die during childbirth because you're more weathered than someone who's lower educated because think about it most of us who are higher educated we work in corporate america mm-hmm. all the things the daily battles we have to deal with mm-hmm. in corporate america as a highly educated african-american mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that take because if you're lower educated if you're working like a middle class or lower class, like blue collar job, you know, working serving tables or something like that, your peers, you you still face, don't get me wrong, discrimination, and everything like that. But if you're working more likely with other more camaraderie, like it's, it's more, more camaraderie with other non-black people who are working in those same positions and everything. And it's with like, your people, because if, if you and I are working in a corporate industry or if you and I are both, there's competition more the higher you go up. Very, yes. So if we're both waitresses. Exactly. It's just both, like, girl, we yeah. both got to make it. When you got, I can watch your baby. You going to pick up a shift? Yeah. Yes. But you're right. So the higher educated we up, we are, the higher we go up the corporate ladder, the more stressful it gets. Mm-hmm. So it makes perfect sense that you're more likely to lose a child. Mm-hmm. Isn't that crazy? It's it's more than crazy. It's just absolutely. It's just an overlooked. Not overlooked, ignored, boo. <laughs> oh, we got the boo. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so angry right now. It's called weathering. The impact on your health of simply being black. Of being black. Of being black. Um. Oh my God. I was just like, I was just dissecting this and I was just like, you know what? I just cannot with this country. I cannot. What do we have to do? Number one, more of us, 5% of physicians are are black in the U.S. Not, and not to say that being black means that you're oh. going to care for us better. Oh no, I don't believe it. No, no, not necessarily. No, 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 no. But more of us need to be in those fields, mm-hmm. right? So while you're, I mean, obviously this is a long-term solution, but while you're encouraging your babies to play the sports and to do all these things, even, you know, you know, good extracurricular activities like, you know, being on a chess team or in these book clubs, you know, let's push them a little more towards the math and sciences. Let's get more of us in these positions mm-hmm. because that number of 5% needs to come up. Definitely. Bottom line. Yeah. That's number one. recognize that. And maybe that's it. Maybe that's it. Maybe we're not seen enough in places where we're equals on a high level. Maybe they're like, okay, I see you doing the teaching and doing, but I don't see you as a neurosurgeon. I don't, so you guys are. We don't see ourselves as a neurosurgeon or brain surgeon. Okay, but. That's why we don't do it. That's why we think it's not for us. That's for them. That's their smart enough. But I'm speaking enough. on as far as like the care that we need in a hospital. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe if your colleague was a black woman or a black man, you will see us on a more humane level. Just like mm, um, mm, mm, the mm. police officers. The only time you run into us is when you are trying to apprehend us. Or, you know, the, you don't go to a black cookout. You don't have any black colleagues. There you go. So you only know us. From the, one point of reference. It's one point of reference. So these doctors only see black women when they're coming for their help. Maybe if a black woman was your 
you know, equal. Maybe if a black man was your equal, you would see us differently. I don't know. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. I um, I was just telling someone recently uh, that I met the goal of the Black Health Academy. One of the goals of the Black Health Academy is to be a continuing edu offer continuing education credits to healthcare providers, not just physicians but nurses as well. So they could literally come to the Black Health Academy and get educated on how to treat us. Mm -hmm. Because just like those statistics, when they did that study on those medical students, when they said, oh, we have higher black people have a higher pain tolerance. Black people have thicker skin. Right. There's literally ignorant people that believe this. And like she said in the interview, that impacts our care that we're provided that impacts our pain management right things are put off because they think we could take it for months longer and then finally we're in the red or we're at stage four now let me do something for you right so the it, i was i was riding my bike with moselle yesterday shout out to my 73 year old friend moselle just <laughs> mad girl yeah. it's just too much right so you want to go bike ride if you don't sit your 73 year old self down somewhere yeah. i love her right <laughs> i love her right so we bike riding yesterday and we were talking about i'm telling her kind of what i'm trying to build the black health academy into so i was talking about that and i was like can you believe that that there's people who believe that just because you're black you have a higher pain tolerance she was like, oh, yeah, that's exactly what I had a dentist tell me. I said, what? She was like, I was in his chair, you know, getting some dental work. And he was like, and he said to her face, don't you guys have a higher pain tolerance? Really? Just to her. It wasn't even a thing that he knew to be ashamed of. Right. Of the ignorance. He's like, no, isn't it just common knowledge? Right. I'm thinking it's an inherent racist thought that you know not to say out loud. He, No. He said it straight to her, like, don't you guys have a higher pain tolerance? I was like, he said that. She said, yes. Like, it's a belief system. And just like I told you, I used to have a nurse who was a client, a white woman. And she said at her hospital, she was kind of known as the nurse who worked with black people. I guess anytime a black person came in, they gave them to her. And she said the other nurses would come up to her like, how do you find veins on them? Oh, yeah, I think I remember. Yeah. That. Like, so the, the racism and the ignorance and the health disparities run so deep throughout the healthcare system. We just have to take back our power. We have to ask for referrals for physicians and just don't show up. We have to get second opinions. We have to push our children and our peers, our cousins and our siblings into more sciences and medicine. We we have to start looking more into home births. And we have to get, I'm a huge, huge fan of getting advocates. When you're in a position of vulnerability, whether you are pregnant, whether your appendix bursts, whether, whatever it is, motorcycle accident, whatever it is, you need someone who's in their right mind that's not in pain, that's not about to give birth. That's not that's desperate not for whatever you desperate say. Desperate to say, hold up. Okay. What, what is this? Okay. Why is it here? And why is, I need to talk. Exactly. I love exactly. it. Exactly. You love need it. an advocate. You need an somebody advocate. who is just in their they're not like you said, desperate. Right. Because it's, you'll sign up for I know I will sign up for anything. Like um, just make it stop, make it go away, whatever. This you know what I mean? Right. You're okay, absolutely Yeah. So I love get it. an advocate, someone who's team you all the time who's gonna rush up to the hospital. And I have a team of advocates. It don't have to be that one person because if they're at work, then what? You know, get your, if you call to your siblings, get your siblings, your mom, your brothers, like whomever, your kids, if you are older and you have teenage kids to be your advocate, but get advocates, definitely. Right. And not only get, because by that time it might be too late, become an advocate. If somebody is in your family and they're going through something, don't just wait to get the report from them on how things are doing. Take the initiative to become an advocate because some of us don't know to ask for one. Some of us don't know or True. some of us are so damn strong mm -hmm. that there's no way we're going to let on on how uncomfortable it is or how high the pain truly is. Mm -hmm. So just take it upon yourself to become an advocate without having to be asked or questered. You know, like we expect our mates to be our advocates if something help happens yeah. but you know just know that you are that person whether somebody requests it or not right yeah. you could because we do it all the time i'm like jay okay you said you moving or you doing this you want some help you're like no nah, i got it i'm at the door 
Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I'm showing up because most of us are too strong, especially our black men. So just become an advocate. You put a doctor aside. I need to know everything that you are prescribing. I need to know every procedure that you think you're about to do. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And why are you doing it? And why are you, you doing do it? it and, yeah. And guys, just wait. Just just wait for me. Because I'm going to build a black health academy to where you can come get an advocate. Because all of us don't have that. Or maybe, mm-hmm. because birds of a feather, we got the same education level. Right. right? So maybe we talking to somebody who really can't advocate for us like we need to. Mm-hmm. So many factors, right? So I hope to be able to build this platform where you can come and find a black doctor, where you could share a phenomenal black doctor, where you can get an advocate. But more importantly of all of that, where you can come for prevention. Yeah, that's our biggest, that's our, that's our first line of defense. Prevention. It's prevention. I mean, we can't talk about that when it comes to pregnancy and starting a family, unfortunately. Why we can't? Why we can't? Well, I'm saying how you, how would you prevent being? Oh, it's at the end of the pod. We're going to have to do another one because how you do, how you treat yourself. We always talk about that. Oh, how you treat yourself. Yes. If you're a person that's having sex, let's not say you're even planning to have a baby. You're having unprotected sex. Like my sister said, if you ain't using a condom and if you're not on birth control, then that means you want a baby. Flat out. <laughs> it is no in between. There's no, there's no, that's the long and short you of wanna, it. You, you want to be a parent. Right. You want to be a parent because you're not trying to prevent it. So if you are in the stage where you have a significant other that you're having unprotected sex with, and if you do get pregnant, you're like, that's fine. Or if you're even planning it, you, you need to be in those preventative, that preventative state where you, you're taking care of yourself. Yes. You're eating right. You're exercising. Your mental health is being, you know, 100%. being taken care of with psychological fitness, like every and single And so thing. is the man that you laying down with. I'm so sick of people thinking sperm don't be defective. <laughs> Remember we did that whole episode yeah. called your defective sperm. Yep. <laughs> Listen, it's the man and the woman, you know, if he overweight, pouring garbage down his throat, smoking, drinking. Please trust me. If your baby comes out with an autoimmune disease or autism or anything like that, it could have been him. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I mean, there's so many ways we can unpack this and rewrap it, but we don't stop there because blood pressure is high. <laughs> we not even... <laughs> Right. The anger of the system causes your blood pressure to go up. I really especially hope. Especially when you're conscious and aware. Especially when you're conscious and aware. But especially at the same time, when you're conscious of aware and you're still pretty much helpless, Jay. Because we exercise and eat right all the time. Mm-hmm. We protect our energy like 10 going north. But literally just being a black woman in America. And what we experience when we go out in the world. And what we experience as we try and climb up and do better. Even what I experience as an entrepreneur. Because it don't matter if you work for yourself. You still got to work with people. Yes. So my experience is... My health is still impacted just by the color of my skin and the country my feet are on. And that pisses me off. Yeah, I know. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I experienced. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, okay, we'll wrap. We'll wrap here, guys. Um, Well, like I said, we'll be back in two weeks and we'll revisit um, Wait What and Driven Then. But we wanted to deep dive into this thing right away because as you see, we could go on and on. So if you hung out this long, thank you so much for hanging out with us. I hope it was impactful. If you're pregnant or you know someone's pregnant or if you know someone who's planning a family soon please have them begin to pay really close attention to their health if they're preparing to conceive how you take care of your body and your health really impacts the type of labor and delivery you'll have there are some things that are out of your control but there are a ton of things that are within your control so please pay close attention become an advocate get an advocate and do research on the people whose health you put in their hands any final words jay that's it. You said no. Yeah, I don't know if I said that last sentence right. Yeah, <laughs> I was, I was replanting in my head. Do research on the people whose health you put in their hands. Well, it's your health in their hands. Yeah, I know what you meant. Yeah, okay. So, All right. Yeah. Uh, listen, on last episode, you couldn't even get out. Oh, what? <laughs> you're throwing me under the bus because you said whose health. I'm like, what? You talking about anything else? I'm like, no, I'm breaking down the sentence in my hair. <laughs> you know what? I get on my soapbox. Right. Boy, that education go out the window, yeah? <laughs> Don't be trying to find my verbs and right. my. <laughs> I was like, um, yeah, nah. My subject verb agreement. Nah, 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 nah. That's uh, when you got a point. 
Yeah, you just need to see somebody and they like don't. The, that's why I ain't saying nothing. Yeah, yeah. All grammar like, errors are I was are like, forgiven. I know what she meant. And Nate got to know what she meant. Y'all been riding with us for a minute. <laughs> you know she is. Baby, you, you know I mean what I right. meant to Auto-correct. say. Auto correct. me. <laughs> okay, guys. Until next time, we listen, we going to throw everything out the window. We'll be back with the pledge next week, too. This was just a deep dive into you know, the whole birth and labor and delivery. So we'll be back next week with the pledge as well. Remember to follow the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher, or directly on the website at theblackhealthacademy.com. Please, please, please subscribe, guys, because the more people we reach, the more people that can hear this rhetoric and this information, the more and the bigger of an impact we can have on our culture and on our community. Until next time, take care.